Bird Show. As Formula One comes out of its traditional midsummer hibernation, is that not what it is? All of a sudden, I just I had this mental image of a bear coming out of his cave wearing his race suit, stretching and then well, foraging for berries. Didn't, it's just not the same. Didn't come out of the cave because it's midsummer, so they were in the sunbeam. Yes, they were lounging in the sunbeam. Um, but with Formula One coming out of its midsummer hibernation, all of a sudden we got news. We got so much news that you'd almost think that we took a week off. <laughs> and well, we didn't take a week off. Formula One took a week off. We didn't take a week off. I know, but you know that's what happens. You know, people filled column inches for two weeks with fluff, and we come back into spa and the news tap turns on full blast and it's drinking from a fire hose episode today yeah um so everybody strap in and buckle up we're going through this fairly quickly to keep this show under four hours oh we can do that three and a half is your target so let's start with cockpit head protection naturally that's where i always want to start we're, we're just going to dive right in and you know, one of the things that we have been saying is... It's ugly. Well, something else that we've been saying, don't go there, <laughs> <laughs> is that, you know, why is Formula One doing this when none of the other series have been, you know, considering looking to roll out their own forms of something? And then a couple of weeks ago, we heard that IndyCar was going to do the error screen, and then it failed testing for Formula One. But, you know, we, we'd still been pretty adamant that it seemed really kind of dumb if none of the other series were going to go and consider cockpit head protection. So, what was that again? Cockpit head protection. Okay. I think you mixed up a couple of the letters when you said that. Whatever. Um, so the FIA apparently looked up after us keeping up this whole thing of if none of the other series are going to do, why are we doing it? And they looked up and they looked around and they said, you guys shut up. <laughs> boldly going forward with something nobody wants and most most sports with open cockpits don't think are, is absolutely required but the FIA is doubling down on it well uh, FIA safety director Lauren Meckes has confirmed that the plan with the halo has always been to have something that can eventually be used in all types of single seaters he says there would be no additional frontal protection without a possibility to put it into the other formulas. It is always their plan, and this is what he says, it has always been their plan that this would be a cascading thing and that it w it's an easier sell to the junior formulas that this kind of protection is important when Formula One is doing it at the top. And to cascade it down, and now they wouldn't necessarily all get the halo, Mm -hmm. There would be other forms, but that is their their um, strategy when it comes to uh, frontal crash protection is the next area is the cockpit head protection. Okay. So that's what they're saying. No, what you're telling me is that Formula One is going full force into full frontal. Hey, so um, <laughs> Force India says that um, this whole late decision on the Halo thing, it, um, it's, it, it's causing them development problems. 
because they've already started work on their 2018 car. And this is a fairly major change to their 2018 car and the aerodynamics of their 2018 car. And it's going to delay it coming to uh, winter testing now. And it's ugly. Well, we don't know what the actual solution that they're going to adapt is. Because remember, they there are some tweaks that are going to happen. It's it's not just going to be this bolted-on hoop. <laughs> you know, teams are allowed to paint them. Ooh. <laughs> I know they're going to try to sell some sponsorship on them because that seems to be like probably one of the better sponsorship locations. Can you well, imagine... You know, think Sauber with the little top bar reading Bloke and the Bird Show. Oh, I was thinking it would say your ad here. <laughs> no. Help Wanted? No. Oh. Monisha is gone. <laughs> so, yeah, already, you know, a team is publicly coming out and saying you're ruining everything for us. This is why we can't have nice things. Well, yes, but you would expect Formula... Uh, force india to start the chant of we can't have nice things because you're ruining everything for us they have been on the front row of that for several years now now i have to ask you we've already had the robo race series run in advance of some formula e stuff driverless cars racing around the track what is your thought on driverless cars in racing i kind of think they're stupid well, and like, let me explain that that okay. statement, as I know that you're about to launch into a story about such things. I feel very firmly that one of the key attraction points of racing is the risk of death. As morbid as that sounds, and as much as I appreciate the amount of safety equipment that allows somebody to have horrific crashes and walk away, and that is just as miraculous to watch to me as possible Mm -hmm. but there is something about the climbing into a car that is basically an engine strapped with four wheels going full bore around a track and an explosive liquid and explosive exploding liquid exploding liquid um going full bore around a track with 20 of your bestie friends all wanting to be first vying for that position and to the near misses are what is exciting. It's the the crashes they walk away from, the near misses on the tracks, the passes that seem impossible from the angle you're watching them. That's what makes racing exciting. So to, and those are exciting because there's a live human being in the car. To remove the human being from the car well, would be like watching th- Minecraft videos on YouTube. There's the other bit. It's not just that there's a human being in the car because the human being is not the passenger. It is the reactions and skill of that human being that makes many of these things as close as they are. Right. From a perspective that you could only get while you are feeling and touching and experiencing the racetrack in that specific spot. Mm-hmm. You could put cameras and sensors all over that car. You are still not going to have that same reaction and the same experience because it is the culmination of their personal experience with what is going on at that moment. That's what makes racing exciting. Well, what if it was the safety car? Okay. 
now I might have a different opinion. Okay. Only because I don't care whether or not the safety car can drive very well or pass. <laughs> However, I do know that there's a lot of complaining about the speeds that the safety car could go. Yeah. And I'm feeling, my feeling is I believe that the safety car could be a Formula One style car that could help keep the temps and the tires for the cars behind them. I get the need to slow everybody down and keep it safe and keep passing under control. I do not understand why we have to put a road car that cannot handle the wet or the turns or something even safely like the cars behind it can do. I think that we're chilling those tires too much and making the restarts unsafe. So could a robo car make that better? Potentially. We don't know, but that is the FIA is considering making the safety car driverless in an effort to promote autonomous cars in general and autonomous vehicles in general. So I think it, it could be very interesting. I would be in support of it if it means that they would get rid of the virtual safety car because I don't like the virtual safety car. I think it's stupid. I mean, yes. They can switch off the virtual safety car earlier in a lap, mm -hmm. which you don't have that opportunity with the real safety car because it has to get to the point where it can get out. But beyond that, I don't see the point in a virtual safety car. I don't think anybody really understands the rules of the virtual safety car. I think what it was originally proposed to do, it doesn't do. And I think that causes problems. I mean... We know, and everybody knows, that there's not supposed to be any kind of passing under a safety car and in safety car conditions. But apparently that's not necessarily the case under a virtual safety car because we've seen it happen before. We were originally told that the, that the cars were going to be limited in their speed mechanically, and that was the whole point of the virtual safety car is that the computers were going to slow the cars down just like when they get to the pit lane um, technically, the, there's supposed to be a limiter that's supposed to kick on. It doesn't allow them to go faster than 65 miles an hour. We were told the same thing was going to happen under safety car conditions, but it doesn't or, or virtual safety car conditions, but it doesn't appear that that actually happens. See, and I thought that the the point of the virtual safety par car was to allow the cars to maintain their original gaps, because under safety car conditions, they can tighten up. But, it, but we've also seen that that doesn't happen under virtual safety car conditions. Almost never do they seem to be maintaining the, the, the existing gaps. So your complaint with the virtual safety car is that it is not working as advertised. Not at all. And you think that this robo car... See, I could fly hot and cold on this idea of a driverless safety car. On one hand, it doesn't really bother me. Um, I like the idea of promoting autonomous cars and stuff. But then the other hand, we're talking about a racing series that's promoting drivers and driving. Yeah, but the safety car doesn't really do that. Well, and, and to your point, if it allows safety car speeds to be faster, mm -hmm. you know, that does, I think, feed what you're looking for. I think the other possibility is if you look at if you're going to do an autonomous safety car, you stage more of them around the track so that when you go to the safety car period, you're not limited to the safety car only comes out of the one location from pit lane and then it either needs to – and then it somehow needs to catch the pack or the pack needs to catch it. 
you can have it pop out, you know, a sector or two in front of the pack, no matter where the pack is sitting on the track. But if that was going to be the way they were handling it, they could do that now. They just need a couple of more cars and a few more drivers. Well, they do that now essentially with virtual safety car. All right. That's why I think. But the they don't have car the cars away. and the drivers to do that type of thing. I mean, why do that? I I don't know. I literally could argue both sides of the coin on this one, but is it something they're talking about it, right? They're not doing it. They're talking. This is not this the is... halo that's being foisted upon us. No, which means we could be looking at anywhere from tomorrow to five years from now. Yes. <laughs> that is the window. Okay. Other futuristic things that they're they're doing, or at least things to embrace the fans de-Bernie the sport, as it were. <laughs> With the launch this week of the new Formula One 2017 video game, Formula One is launching its first official eSports series. Now, McLaren's already started to um, embrace this with a program they're calling World Fastest Gamer. Mm -hmm. um, but this is a more formal event with all of F1, there's going to be some qualifying events to determine the 40 quickest drivers who are going to be invited to a live semifinals in London October 10th to the 11th with the finals, I believe, happening in Abu Dhabi. So the wow. winner, um, in addition to winning the inaugural title, um, the winner will receive automatic qualification to the 2018 semifinals and be included as a character in the F1 2018 game and be named the Formula One eSports champion expert. Nice. That's I mean, if you're a gamer, it's, it's kind of cool and allows some of us older folks to, to get involved, you know, because we wouldn't be able to drive a car normally, so you, you get to do this. I believe, actually, the the McLaren World Fastest Gamer program will put the winner in a performance car seat, if not a race seat for an exhibition type scenario. Interesting. Yeah. I know you want to know the future of Jensen Button. I do. I do. I still hope that it's holding a microphone and possibly becoming David Hobbs's replacement. Well, we were, you know, that that was the big question is what is he going to do? It, does he really have a desire to go back to Because he hasn't really shown a desire to go back to racing for anybody. You know, he's only been at like two Formula One races that we know of, and that's about it. He's only going to be participating in two different race events this year um, between Formula One, where he's got penalty points already, and, <laughs> and, 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 a, and a, uh, uh, a, a grid penalty. If he ever returns to Formula One. That would be like the longest grid penalty waiting to be served probably like in Formula One history. Possibly. But he also raced an endurance race in Japan. Uh, I think it was, it's either this week or last week. It must have been this week because I haven't heard results. So it has to be this weekend. Okay. Uh, but yeah, 24-hour endurance race at I believe it's Twin Ring Motegi uh, in Japan. Okay. But he's been asked about his future. And he says that he definitely will make a full-time return to racing next year. We don't know what he's going to do. That's an interesting statement because 
the when he was being interviewed, um, when he came into the and to Formula One for his one race, he was like, "Yeah, I'm not doing this. I'm done. I'm out." Now, I know he's always kept the idea of racing in another series sort of open, but he was really pretty adamant of, I'm out. So, And I was wrong. He, he's not racing at Twin Ring Motegi. It's uh, the Suzuka 1,000-kilometer race. Interesting. Um, it's the Super GP Series flagship race. And what he had to say, I will be definitely going somewhere next year for – I will definitely be doing something next year for a full season. Whether it's here or in America or somewhere else, I don't know yet. But the discussions are underway. We'll see how this weekend goes. If it goes well and if I enjoy the weekend, which I think I will, then maybe I could be racing here next year. Whoa. Interesting. But he throws out America. He throws out Japan. Could maybe he be looking at an IndyCar seat? Because I can't see Jensen Button going to NASCAR. I don't see that happening. I like that rumor. But the other possibility, which he has shown interest in, is Rallycross. True. So maybe he could look at the Red Bull Rallycross series in the States. True. I like the Jensen and Indy thing. I do like it. And if Indy is not going to be scouting Alonzo... I know that with the success of what happened with Alonzo coming over for the one race, mm-hmm. that wouldn't be something that they would be opposed to doing to pick up Jensen. They picked up former Indy car, uh, Formula One drivers before. Well, there's a lot of former Formula One drivers in IndyCar. But, you know, if you thought, Fernan- as an IndyCar fan, if you thought Fernando Alonso embraced the sport, could you imagine a Jensen Button in IndyCar and what he would do? Oh, my word. Because he loves so much and he's so good mm-hmm. at the people part of things. And, you know, we could just ignore the fact that I'd totally like be a stalker. <laughs> so another person's future that is in question. Well, the media thinks it's in question. His team does not think it's in question is Max Verstappen. No, he's being locked into a small room after every race and only allowed out during race times so that they can keep everyone away from him. Well, what we know is that Max has a contract through next year. Correct. And we know Max is frustrated. I mean, performance has been down. Reliability has been way down. And he's a teenager. Mm-hmm. Let's not negate the fact that he's a teenager in this scenario. Well, he says that the team's form is the key to him staying. If things start to turn around and they get better, he won't be tempted to walk away. But if the challenges continue, he says he's out of here. Wow. He's following the Fernando Alonso career path choices. You guys do better and I'll stay. (laughs) But I don't blame him. I mean, I understand where he is sitting. I understand where Fernando is is frustrated. I get it. But there's also that sense of there's part of me that makes it sound like it's entitlement that comes with that of you guys in the team, you guys have to do better because I'm doing my job. Well, the question is, are you really doing your job? 
you know, he's been mildly aggressive on the track and he's pulled some bonehead moves that have not helped his position or cause. He has. And I think that that needs to be addressed too. Yes, he's had performance issues. Yes, he's had reliability issues. Yes, all of those things. But his issues this year are not 100% on the engineering side. True. Yeah, and, I, and, and I wouldn't argue that either. But if you look at in general, the performance that the team had going into or, or was expected to have going into the season has really not shown up. Right. And that is something that if you want to win races, if you want to be challenging, you got to see. Especially when you know that there's interest from a Ferrari and there's interest from a Mercedes. You know, you got to keep that in the back of your mind. If the team that you're on isn't performing and doesn't look like they're going to put you in a position that you can win a championship with, and teams that look like they are in a position to do so are interested in you, why stay? I understand that, too. Bonehead moves or not. I understand that, too. Now, in a move that, at least to us, was a bit surprising, we know that he doesn't, that Max does not have a chance at Kimmy's seat this year. No. Nope. For yet another one-year term, Ferrari has signed the uh, hyper-verbose Kimi Raikkonen. And I'm going to say this right now. Going into 2018 for our prediction show, I'm sticking with this prediction that he's gone at the end of the season. I know. I'm not letting that one go. Um, but One of these years we're going to be right. And that's why I'm probably going to stick with it. But... Yeah, they, they've signed Kimmy for another year despite calling him a laggard, despite the bad press that they ha- that they give Kimmy walking into, oh, appears to be walking into any of these nego- negotiations. They extended him a year. I know. Now, Kimmy, he says he's only in it for the racing. Yep. He says, I enjoy the racing, and obviously I want to do well. If I wouldn't feel that I can go fast, I wouldn't be happy in myself with my driving, I wouldn't be here. I have zero interest to waste my time or the team's time to be a part of it. It's not the nicest place to hang around. The racing is the main thing. There's a lot of other sides in F1, but as long as racing is the biggest part, that's it. And as long as I feel myself that I can win races and fight for championships, then that's fine. When I don't feel like that, I will be the first guy to do something else. Now, given that he really hasn't been racing for a championship the last two years, I'm not sure where he gets that from. <laughs> I I mean, nobody's been talking about Kimi Raikkonen being, I mean, yes, the possibility of him winning races, it's, it's certainly there. But being a championship contender? No. No. Not when you're, like, below Botas and Ricardo. Even Susie Wolf said it in the build-up on the Channel 4 qualifying coverage. When Raikkonen is on his game, he's really good. He is. He's just not on his game very often. I mean, if there was anybody who should be looking to move to a different series, I would think Kimmy would be that candidate. Whether it's... I mean, we've heard he's got an interest in WRC. Let him go down to WRC at this point. 
let him go off to to IndyCar or NASCAR. I mean, he's driven NASCAR once before already. Mm-hmm. He's one that I think it's time that he should be looking for another seat. Yeah. Now, I don't agree with the speculation that um, Ferrari should have or was going to consider a rookie driver for that seat. That's not Ferrari's way. Yeah, that's not their style. But I also think that it's interesting. It's another one-year contract. Mm-hmm. You kind of got to look around and say, okay, who's going to be up next year? Maybe they're kind of sniffing around some of those drivers too. They want to see somebody else drive for another year. I mean, there there's a part of me that says that there may be some method to this madness that Ferrari I, has. I suspect it's a matter of Ferrari making the decision of that they couldn't get somebody that they wanted out of a contract. Mm-hmm. I don't think they want Perez for that seat, even yeah. though he came up in a driver academy. I think who they truly want is either Ricardo or Verstappen or maybe Valtteri. I think Valtteri might have been a candidate if he didn't drive quite so well this season. Oh. Um, I think he, he might have been a candidate for the Ferrari seat. Um, but I think that's what it is, is the veteran drivers that they wanted are not going to become available. So instead of going and risking with a younger driver, which is not Ferrari's way, they stayed with the known quantity in Kimi Raikkonen. I think you're right. I think that that's absolute truth there. As, as if you were on a wall in uh, Domino, Domenico... Oh. Stefano Domenicali. Domenicali's office. Okay. Possibly Ariva Bene. Well, they were probably talking together, but you figure Ariva Bene goes to Domenicali's office, not the other way around. Now, in a move that was a surprise to absolutely nobody, especially after the announcement of the Kimi Raikkonen deal, this morning, for, or yesterday morning, Saturday morning, Ferrari announced that they were extending their deal with Sebastian Vettel. For three which, years. Again, completely no-brainer that they would extend that deal if they were going to keep Kimmy. What was a surprise to me, though, was that decision for it to be a three-year deal. Why? I Well, normally what we see are like two-year deals, maybe a one-year deal. He'd been on a one-year deal for a while. So the fact that Seb agreed to a three-year deal, I think this means that Seb thinks that there's a turnaround that's happened. Well, I'm pretty sure that given the fact that he's fighting for the championship this year he does feel like there's a turnaround happening i think that he sees a long-term growth and potential there i also know that there's some punchantry starting to talk about when seb's going to retire and given the fact he's only in his mid-20s yeah i I think that that's an interesting feeling i think that's premature um seb i think will will do the same thing that fernando does and stick around until either he's punted from a team and can't get a top-tier team or he physically cannot race. Um, I, I, I don't see Seb leaving in three years at the end of this contract. Yeah, I don't think so either. You know who else got a contract for next year? Um. The Your, flying, flying Waffle. Yes, the Flying Waffle, who is unstoppable. Yes. Stoffel Van Dorn has been confirmed for a seat at McLaren for 2018. Now, Fernando Alonso has not. But at, 
right after Stoffel was confirmed for his seat, he was also informed, congratulations, you're getting grid penalties for, <laughs> for Spa. Your home race. Yeah. We're going to give you grid penalties to the tune of 40 places. I would love for somebody to add all of the grid penalties suffered since McLaren-Honda partnership began. Because I think if you add them up, it's some it's got to be in the four digits at this point. Um, well, give me a second. I, I don't have for the whole – that's not the story. Um, tell me I didn't lose it. Oh, I may have lost it. I had the total. Oh, I lost the, the total number of penalties this season. I had the story that told us just for this season the number of penalties that McLaren and Honda managed to rack up compared to the rest of of the, the teams. Um, if I remember correctly, Mercedes, no grid penalties this year for engine issues. Okay. Ferrari, no grid penalties due to engine issues. Renault, no grid penalties due to engine issues. Okay. Um, McLaren Honda, I, I want to say that number was one twenty-seven going into the into the week. And does that include the forty that Stoffel? I don't got? think that includes Stoffel's forty split position grid penalties. Yeah. That's awful. That's absolutely awful. Now the the one thing to to keep in mind about this is Stoffel was handed this because he they, they upgraded the engine. They were planning that this was going to be the spec four engine and the expectation was that this was going to fix the issue. And perform, all of the problems were going to be solved, and they could start beating Mercedes. Well, many more problems were going to be solved, especially coming out of Austria and, and seeing Fernando get that fastest lap. Th this was this was going to cure many of what ailed them. Okay. Except it isn't. It isn't. This is not the spec four engine that they had been planning on. Uh, they failed to meet their development timelines. Uh, and instead, Stoffel is getting the halfway upgrade. So it's the 3.5. Well, the, the Honda's not completely sure. This is either the 3.5 or the 3.6. Ooh. I wish I was kidding. Oh. Um, they feel that the upgrade has boosted performance. Uh, they have rolled out some upgrades in terms of reliability. Uh, but, yeah, this is not... The, the spec four engine that was supposed to come, which means, guess what? More grid penalties. Yeah. Yes. Now, Mercedes, I think, has put themselves at a bit of a risk, too. Because rules this year say you only get four engines before you get grid penalties. Mm -hmm. Mercedes rolled out for this weekend engine number four. Uh-oh. Yeah. I think that's a big ask to, to think that they're going to make it through the remainder of the season without having to swap an engine. And remember, they can't do what they did last season of 
well, we'll bank a couple of engines and, and just get all those penalties over in one shot. Um, no, you only get the one engine. So every time you swap out that engine, even if you've made changes to the spec, it's a design change. Every time you roll out the new one, it's a new engine. Right. Hmm. Yeah. What engine number is Ferrari on? I think they're still on three. I don't think that they've hit number four yet. Yeah, they still might. I mean, we're still looking at, I think, it's eight or nine races to the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So... That's that's a lot for even two more engines. Further adding doubt, because, again, we're in the Bash Honda section now. Mm. So we watched qualifying. Yes. And there was some really good teamwork happening, which I'm expecting is going to happen even more so when we get to Monza, because Monza is really big for those long straights and, and teammates giving each other toes so that they can slingshot around and pick up speed. Well, the McLarens were doing it, and they, they, were, they were getting it down pretty well. Um, Q3, both cars get into Q3, which was awesome, even though Stoffel, Stoffel wasn't... Still be on the back of the yeah. grid. But they were going to use him to give the toe to Fernando to hopefully move him up a little bit, give him a little extra speed. So they did it around the Puhan curve, not Puhan, Puhan. It's different. <laughs> I have to say this because of you. You did the prep for this, and that's all I heard. And I was like, you can't pronounce it that way. I'm sorry. We have a clean rating. Well, this year that curve is being taken by the driver's flat. Because of? The aerodynamics. The aero and the downforce is so much greater on these cars, they can take it flat. Well, the problem is when Fernando's McLaren came through the curve and he took it flat, it screwed up the algorithm in the car and he didn't get the energy deployment he was supposed to have gotten. Uh-oh. Yeah, that's why he was yelling on the radio that he had no power. Oh, no. Yeah. Um Honda's deployment algorithm is calculated through major throttle input. The system identifying the car's position on the circuit by noting a lift of the throttle as evidence of a corner being taken. So when Fernando took the, the corner flat out for the first time all weekend during Q2, Honda's system did not realize he had already gone through the corner. Uh-oh. Um, thinking that Fernando was still on the run from the liege downhill corner rather than on the straight toward... Uh, fangs, it did not deploy any more energy like it was supposed to do. Oh, no. Yeah. I wonder he if said, they can do some fast reprogramming. It, well, I, I don't know if they can legally, uh, but what Yasuki Hasegawa said was that we set a segment to when we have the deployment and normally that segment is divided by the throttle. Sometimes a driver is making a different operation, so that makes the system confused, and we didn't have deployment at some certain areas. He said that Honda would likely need to change its procedures to ensure that there is no repeat incident. Now, whether or not they can do it in time for the race, that we don't know. Yeah, but did you see Fernando storm off after he got out of the car? Um, is there any wonder why? stormed off his physios behind him like no no comments he's not talking to anybody i mean a little temper fit there and everything 
you can't blame him. Now, Fernando has said the decision behind him staying is whether or not he believed that between McLaren and Honda that they would be able to deliver him a card that would win him races. Yes. Well, going into this week, he said he has no confidence in Honda's ability to do so. Wait, wait. Going into this season. Excuse me, into this weekend. Going into this season, we, prophetic people of Formula One punditry, said he had no. we had no confidence in McLaren's ability to win races. And I found the chart I was looking for. Yay. So going into this weekend, okay, Mercedes, three teams supplied, zero grid places, lost due to engine penalties. Ferrari, three teams supplied, zero grid places, lost. Let's see the trend we're working on here. Renault, three teams supplied, zero places, lost. Honda, one team supplied, and going into this weekend, my number was wrong. I was off. 175 grid positions going into this weekend. Ouch! So then you add the 40 that Stoffel got, and we're already up to 210 grid positions. They're starting in 2014. Pretty much. You have to go back to Barcelona and get your car to the starting line. Yeah. Oh, it's ridiculous. So completely ridiculous. So the question is then, well, what's the future here for Fernando? Well, Fernando's telling us. Well, first off, actually, before I even get to that, there was speculation coming from the German, uh, I think they're a magazine, not a newspaper, Auto Motorsport and Unbuild, I believe that's it. But one of the German reporting sources said going into this weekend that there was an offer on the table and negotiations were underway for Fernando to go to Williams for 2018. Williams? Williams. Okay. Now, Williams isn't talking. And given the way this weekend is shaking out, I don't think it's necessarily looking good. But there's been a lot of talk of the reason why this is getting Fernando's attention is because Patty Lowe is back over at Williams. And Patty has been doing a significant amount of work to revamp Williams' operation. So by the time he would get there next year, some of that would be in place. I mean, this becomes a rebuilding year for Williams. Because they've of, had a rough year this year. They have. Some of that is in place. The other piece that they, that they point out is... Um, their sugar daddy, Lance Stroll's dad, mm -hmm. has shown a very big willingness to open up the checkbook to underwrite improvements that Williams wants to bring success to the team, whether that's the new simulator, whether that's some of the other things that Williams has been looking to do. Daddy Stroll's been willing to fund that for them. Wow. Combined with the fact that um, Minardi, not Minardi, yeah, Minardi, would be very, no. I'm, I'm drawing a, a blank spot as to their, their sponsor. 
Martini. Martini, that's it. Minardi was like They're the first gone. team for Fernando right. Alonso. And I'm like, and you kept just stopping. So I couldn't help Because I'm like, that's not right. No, uh, Martini would love to have the big name of Fernando associated with Williams and their sponsorship of the team. Interesting. Now, Fernando's not talking when it comes to that deal. What he is saying is that he has to, to stop and make some decisions next month. He says he definitely has some offers um, from rival teams. He's not saying who, but what he says is 60% of them I have said no to already, and the other 40 are still on the table. Well, you got to figure that Sauber's offered him a spot. <laughs> <laughs> you you got to kind of figure that everyone said you know if you want to come drive for us yeah all of those junior teams i'm not sure that force india can afford him i'm sure they they said you know hey we'd love to have you yeah and i think that's the question because the the speculation is that fernando gets about 40 million dollars a year out of the mclaren honda deal okay so is between martini and daddy stroll they're enough money to entice fernando to come over yeah <coughs> we'll have to see yeah i don't know we also found out a little more about one of the terms that was being discussed for the toro rosso honda deal that has fallen apart oh really now officially right now they're saying that there have been no official talks for that deal Okay. Even though that those talks have ended and, and we knew those something affi- happened. Those non-official talks have started and ended really quickly. Right. Uh, McLaren was asked to play a role in that deal, uh, particularly to supply the gearbox for that car. Interesting. Now, better gearbox than engine. Mm-hmm. But that was the negotiation that was happening there, was for McLaren to supply the gearbox for Toro Rosso. But, of course, that's all off the table now. Yeah. Not happening. You know who wants a future contract? Who wants to know what's going on? Everyone. Sergio Perez. Yeah, he's kind of fighting that whole contract thing. Nobody seems to be wanting to give him a top team spot. Yeah, and and he's apparently starting to get a little frustrated at being locked down at uh, Force India. Mm. So he is not particularly happy that there is no options available for him in a top tier team. Red Bull obviously isn't going to take him because he's not part of the program. There's no seats open at, at Mercedes, and, and there was no chance of a seat opening at Mercedes. And I guess it sounds like Ferrari didn't have an interest in him to begin with. Now, that that's where it's really got to be frustrating. You know, he came through the Ferrari Young Driver program, and now they won't offer him a seat. That is frustrating, I'm sure. So you got to wonder, will McLaren take him back? <laughs> I mean— <laughs> The Fernando Alonso, the first Fernando Alonso McLaren relationship was a train wreck, and they took him back. Well, yeah. And arguably, the first Sergio Perez McLaren relationship was not nearly as much of a train wreck as the Fernando Alonso McLaren relationship. Also, a good point, and I think that more of that was on McLaren's side than Perez's side. Well, here's something else to throw out there. Not that I think that it's a potential for this to happen this year. 
But Toto Wolf has said that um, they have been forced to develop a plan B for their driver lineup in the event that there was another Rosberg situation. Now, not a Rosberg situation, the fact that their two drivers didn't get along, but in the three weeks after the end of the season, their driver decided that they're going to up and retire. Does he think that that's a real possibility from Lewis? Um, I mean, Valtteri's not in a position to start thinking about retirement. But Lewis is in that window. But do we honestly think that Lewis would pull a Rosberg? I, I don't think they believe he would pull a Rosberg um, unless something significant happened towards the end of the season. Okay. You know, we haven't seen Moody Lewis. We still see Lewis who thinks he's competitive. But, you know, what Toto says is there's certainly a component that in F1 you need to have a fallback solution, a plan B. Even having a contract doesn't necessarily mean that everything is going to be like it is. There could be a change in circumstances, which makes you think that there was a concern that Valtteri could – I mean, he is on a one-year deal, mm-hmm. but that maybe Valtteri could get lured away. But they re-signed Valtteri. They have not signed Valtteri yet. He does not have a contract for next year. I thought they had already signed him. No, they have not signed him. Interesting. Toto has said that it's a no-brainer to sign him, but they had not the, – and this was before the summer break. He said it was a no-brainer to, to, that, that they would sign him, but they had not come to an agreement on – the terms of the contract at the length of the contract oh that contract still is not in place okay um what toto says in terms of just plan a's and b's and he says what we have now is a plan a and then there is obviously various possible plays afterwards because the driver's market changes a lot in 2018 and 19 so it is important to consider plan b and plan c um he says, most of the top drivers come to the end of their current contracts either this season or next. A lot of one-year contracts that happened last year. I think there's going to be a lot of one-year contracts that are going to happen next year too. Toto says it's very complex. There are many possibilities where a driver could end up. There are certainly at least a handful of capable drivers who would perform in a Mercedes, so you have to consider all scenarios. Now, when it comes to the, the Botas-Verline decision, Toto said the deal was very difficult. Um, it's easier to solve problems that you saw coming, but the Nico thing coming out of nowhere at a time when most of the drivers already had contracts for the following year, it was not easy. We knew that we had Pascal as a possibility, but he's probably too young to burn him in a car that was capable of winning races against the best driver on the grid. Valtteri was our primary candidate, but obviously Williams was keen to keep him. And it wasn't the only factor. It was multifaceted. There was also if we could agree on a financial compensation with with Williams. Who would they take? What would happen to Pascal? At the same time, undoing the Nico contract. Finally, to have achieved the outcome that was our most preferred option was good. Well, you got to think about how complicated that was. I mean, that was... Mm-hmm. That that was a lot of moving parts, and so I get the need for a backup plan. I'm just a little weirded out, basically, that we have to make that public. I mean, there's a part of me that says, "Okay, that's a no-brainer. You need a backup plan," and then there's a part of me that's like, "Do we have to talk about it?" Well, I think where this com- when this specific conversation was had, and, and we don't know for sure. I don't think this was during the build-up to this week, so. 
there's a potential that maybe this conversation happened before the Kimmy deal was signed. Mm. And with that rolling around, because there's been talk before of Valtteri being a candidate to replace Kimmy Räikkönen. Yeah. So maybe that's what he was thinking of, you know, there's this potential that because we don't have the deal signed with Valtteri, and, and in, in that case, you got to wonder, then just sign the dang deal already. Yeah. Um, but maybe that that was the thought of we don't have the deal with Valtteri done yet. If Ferrari comes in underneath us, we've got to be ready for a plan B. But it also makes it sound like they're still not particularly confident in putting Pascal Verline alongside Lewis. I could understand that. Pascal has not got his teeth really cut well enough to be going. I mean, keep in mind, they are looking at the team sport side of this thing. Mm -hmm. They need two consistent finishers. And there's no way to know if Pascal in the right car has the pace to be on the podium to keep the constructors theirs. From what we heard, I think it was last year. Yeah, it must have been last year. Um, Pascal's got a personality on him, mm. which we don't see and we don't hear a lot out of. Um, but from what it sounds like is Pascal's got the attitude of a world champion driver, even <laughs> though he has not won a championship yet. He wants to be the number one driver in the garage. He wants to be leading the team. He wants to be driving the direction of that team from the driver perspective. And the problem is you can't take especially a driver with the limited amount of experience that he has with that kind of an attitude and drop him alongside Lewis Hamilton. It will not work. No. So there's a lot of talk that that's the thought is Pascal's the driver to replace Lewis when Lewis leaves. But the question is, will Lewis leave before Pascal has to move on? Right. And I don't think Lewis will at this point. I don't see him leaving anytime in the near, near future. And then you add on top of it, you've got that kind of an attitude. What's, what are the other potential options for Pascal Verlein? You can put him over at Force India. But at this point, it doesn't seem like Perez is going to go anywhere. So you've got to put somebody with that kind of attitude alongside Sergio Perez. That's not going to be a good mix. Yeah. Or you could possibly put him over to Williams. I was going to say, Williams sounds like a, a possible spot. Williams, I think, is probably the only potential spot um, because I don't think Lance Stroll has the right to, to declare that he's a number one driver. No. no not, not crashy Stroll. Oh, so now you're down on him too? Well, he's super crashy. Okay. Now... We know that Plan B, at least according to Toto Wolf this week, was not Sebastian Vettel, <laughs> because Toto Wolf denies that there have been any real discussions with Sebastian about teaming up with Lewis at Mercedes. See, I think that would be a volatile combination too. I think so too. Um, it would be a fun combination, um, probably more fun, I think, than a Fernando Lewis combination. Yeah, but I just see that going downhill fast. But Toto says that outside of some 
informal conversations in the paddock, which may have been, hey, you want to drive for us? No. That that was about it. Yeah. You'd look good in silver. Yeah, I, I think that was about it. Um, Mercedes, though, as and, and this shouldn't be a big surprise. I mean, we, we've seen hints of this so far. Um, as things start to get tighter in the back end of the season, especially with the Constructors' Championship, um, we kind of expect that Mercedes is going to have to give a rethink on this whole position of no driver's orders. And they've admitted that, yeah, you know, we're open to rethinking this plan here. It's it's time. It's time. I mean, we all talked very nicely about Lewis giving back the position in Hungary. And, you know, that's two points. If he loses the championship by two points, everybody's going to point to that and say that was the wrong answer. So I get it. I get it. But I love the idea that the racers can race. Um, I have a sense that unlike Ferrari, Mercedes's view of team orders is going to be much more like they have to put themselves in the right positions. Put themselves in the right position, and I think where possible they're going to start trying to favor Lewis more. Yeah. Um, as, as much as at least Channel 4 wants to turn around and say, yeah, Valtteri's in contention for the championship, he's not going to win the championship. He's mathematically he's in the contention. but math- Well, they haven't used those words yet. No, they're not using those words. I'm just saying that as a fact. It's mathematically possible. So if you're using, because remember what it means once you start using mathematically in contention. It means, yes, they have a fighting chance, but you don't believe they have a prayer in the world. So if you're using those words, you are declaring mathematically in contention. It means he's out of it. (laughs) and, And that's my feeling. I mean, you have 14 points between Lewis and Vettel. And then the next one down is Botas. And yes, it is possible but there would have to be a significant shift in lewis and vettel's performance for him to be in tight competition yeah i would say yes and i think it's fabulous that botas is in there he it is possible probable not like you know i won't give probable i will give it's possible but i think it's we're at that mathematical piece now for him and I think that that's a perfect place to be in your first year at a top-tier team. Absolutely. Playing with the big boys. And quite frankly, Valtteri, I think you stepped up to the plate and you knocked it as far out of the park as you possibly could, given the fact that November of last year, you were going to be driving for Williams again this year. If Valtteri ends up in third, given what this title race is shaking up to be, again, He has done exactly what he was hired to do. He did. And he stepped up to that admirably, and he should be well rewarded for it because I think that that just shows that he is a phenomenal driver. And I've said that for years. I I have a soft spot in my heart for Valtteri. I think he is a great driver, and I think he has stepped up to do his job very, very well. And then he has personality on top of it that I think is, is warm and an exciting part of Formula One. So qualifying today. Okay, can we stop for a second and talk a little statistics before you get to qualifying? Okay. I mean, we, we haven't pulled out the track facts in a while. Well, this isn't track facts. This is just a Lewis fact that okay. I want to point out because I think it's important. Lewis Hamilton's going into this weekend to get his 200th race start. Mm-hmm. This is his 200th Grand Prix. Of those 200 Grand Prix, 
101 of them, 105, somewhere in that low 100s, he has been on the podium. I call that out because he is batting over a 50% record for podium finishes. And And that's impressive. I think that's impressive. And given the fact that, you know, you have to look at how many of them he did not finish because there were performance issues throughout his career and he's had some bad seasons. That's really impressive. Yeah, it's very impressive. He is, we're going to talk about qualifying, but this was the potential for him to be equal with Michael Schumacher in his qualifying pole positions. Mm -hmm. Um, Spoiler, he did that. Uh, He is now equal with that. I mean, he's got a phenomenal record. It should be no doubt that he is one of the legendary greats of Formula One. And I call this out for, for two reasons. When, uh, we got to the end of qualifying, and they called out the fact that he had tied Michael Schumacher's uh, record. Um, the message that came across, really great message from the Schumacher family, um, that, you know, these records are made to be broken, and they wish him that the was, best That was Michael's position, was records were made to mm-hmm. be broken. It was great to hear from the Schumacher family, but I think also it was very telling as to where that message came from. And that that message didn't come from Michael, but it came from the family. Corinne and, and the family. Yeah. And yeah. and that, it would have been great, especially given all that has happened, if it was a video message from Michael. I think that would have rocked Formula One to see him again and, and to have him actually address Lewis. Um, but I, again, I think it also it says a lot that it was specifically called out that this message was from Corinne and the Schumacher family and not from Michael. Well, you, you and I both believe that that's an indication that Michael is not doing very well. He's not doing better. I don't know if I want to say very well, but he's not doing better. Um, and that's disappointing. Um, yeah, and it's sad. Um, but awesome for Lewis to get pole position a phenomenal lap that he pulled out at Spa I mean absolutely phenomenal lap three different track record three different times in that qualifying I know pretty amazing huh <laughs> um and it looked all for the world like it was going to be a lockout on the front row for Mercedes I mean Botas put slid in there with a beautiful lap of his very own mm-hmm. um things looked good and Vettel was like down by in fifth. He was kind of fighting at it. And and it's been confirmed Vettel picked up that advantage, got that extra time to get him over because he managed to catch a toe from Kimmy right after Kimmy, right as Kimmy backed out of the lap. And Kimmy apparently, and we didn't catch this. It wasn't in Channel Four coverage, but Kimmy said that that was his call. No. He announced that he was going to back out. He called back to the team and said he was going to position himself so that Seb could get that toe for the extra oomph. And and he did that, oh. not the team. Well, that was a mighty nice thing for you to do, Kimmy. Um, but Bettel put in a staggering lap, considering where he had he had fallen for so long. He was only one-tenth behind Lewis, a very important tenth. Yeah. 
I mean, it is an important tenth, but it was only one tenth behind. Um, but I thought that was a pretty impressive end. I mean, it was an exciting qualifying. Um, we had Palmer had an issue, but Palmer made it into Q2. He made it to Q3. Three, but didn't really run. Yeah, he, he was seventh going into Q3. Um, did not manage to complete the lap um, because car blew up on him. Right. Uh, so he's going to be qualifying in 10th, and I'm guessing that there's probably going to be a penalty out of that because they said that they lost pressure, I believe, in the gearbox. Yeah. So I'm betting that there's going to be a, a penalty to come out of that one. But there was a lot of, and there are going to be a few grid penalties along the way. Uh, Moss has got a grid penalty, but he didn't even make it out of Q1. So, I mean, it's going to be a fight for the back row. You know who's really at risk? Daniel Kvyat has enough penalty points that if he gets any more penalty points, he could be facing a race ban. Oh. Yeah. And he's said going into this weekend that uh, it's not changing how he's going to drive. Excellent. He's going for it, baby. Um, did you catch the slow motion footage of the tire, the rear tires? Yeah. Um. The teams raised some concerns over those vibrations, uh, concern that they were leading to the whole car shaking and could cause failures. Um, now, as you recall, coming at the end of Q1, there was, as Lance Stroll came off the line, there was a piece that went flying off the car. Right. What, that was one of the rear end plates had failed as a result of all those shaking. Um, Red Bull got permission from the FIA because they're not supposed to do this under Park Fermi rules. But as a result of these vibrations, Red Bull got permission from the FIA to conduct ultrasonic crack tests on its suspension. Oh, wow. Because of how bad this was. Um, Pirelli says the tires are safe. Um, they say that there is no risk, but the teams have expressed some concern over potential failures due to all of that shaking. Um, according to Mario Azzola, in all our investigations on the laboratories, the tires are okay. Now we're having a look in the data more in detail on this specific effect. What is important is to understand how this effect generated. We had the time to speak to the team Saturday night, but then they had to go, and we had some more information this morning, this Sunday morning. It looks like they have a vibration that is just out of turn 19, which is the bus stop chicane, and turn 1, which is La Source. So it is a specific point. It is not on all the circuit. But because it is the first time we see it so clearly, and maybe also the slow motion images, we're announcing a little bit this effect. When we see this, we want to understand it. We are checking with all the teams because it's important to have feedback from them. They have not only the data, they look at the suspension, they look at the floor, they look at the wings so they can give us more complete feedback. Obviously, if you touch certain frequencies, then you can generate a failure. Interesting. And speaking of tires, I know it's your favorite. Oh, yes. Williams was fined for a breach of tire rules in Friday practice at the Belgian Grand Prix. Uh, they got a fine of 10,000 euros. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did they try to run a car with uh, one missing tire? No. What's supposed to happen is teams are supposed to hand back a set of tires from your allocation after the first 40 minutes of opening practice. Now, this can be delayed slightly if the session is affected by a red flag, and that did happen thanks to Felipe Massa and his big accident. Mm -hmm. But Williams was found to have run one of its nominated sets on Lance Stroll's car at 11.09 a.m. and at 11.21 local time, which was more than an hour after after Felipe's crash. 
That puts them in violation. Now, when the FIA investigated, they they decide that, you know, yes, Williams openly admitted it made a mistake, but they fined him anyway. And they did that because there were previous offenses. Ah, so not your first time. You should have known better. You should have been better prepared. What the the statement from the stewards said was, having considered the facts, the stewards accepted that the infringement was inadvertent. The stewards have taken note of a repeated of repeated offenses concerning tires by the team, and a similar infringement for which a sus- a suspended fine was imposed. Now that happened in 2015 in the Malaysian Grand Prix. Makes sense. Yeah, I could agree with that fine. Okay. Do we have any more news? That is everything. All right, so I should remind everyone, since we're not talking about the results of the Belgium Grand Prix, um, we haven't seen it yet. It has just completed. We are recording this between the two. It has just completed, and as of our normalness, we watch it in a little bit of tape delay. So um, we are going to close this show so we can go see the excitement of the Belgium Grand Prix and the return of Formula One. I'm tired of my three weeks off. It's not been good. Yeah, as much as the teams like it, we don't. No. No. It gets tough in winter, too, but at least we start to get to winter testing and we can talk about a little things. But December, January, February are rough months around our house. August, also rough. So it's time to call it a show. All right. Let's go watch a race. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. 